So rumor has it Apple is going to cancel the iPhone 5C. I thought they already had, so I'm not really <laughs> surprised. Exactly. Um, what a what a weird. I have made 1,400 tweets. It's a round decimal number. So there you go. Look at that. Uh, where am I? 1,400. <laughs> 1400. I'm at the point where I don't know exactly how many tweets. I'm around 12.5 thousand tweets. Uh, it says right here in my number, you know, I go to my page and it says mm. how many tweets you make. Just go to. Here, let me go to my page and see if exactly how many, or if it's rounded. Nope, it doesn't say exactly how many tweets. It says 12.5k. There you go. Okay. Mm. It's probably a third-party service to tell me more, but <laughs> so let's see my tweets and replies. This is where we had our conversation. So there was a couple conversations we had on Twitter. There was a conversation we had with Nate, right? Where um, it was you mentioned the third, the fourth law, and then you mm-hmm. said. Uh, let's see exactly what what you said. He said, um, Nate said, for every opinion there is Greg's equal and opposite opinion, <laughs> what you call the contrarian blowhard postulate. And I said, for every opinion there is Greg's much better and opposite opinion. <laughs> uh, which you both favored it. So. I really like that. Uh, you just heard me almost snort, right? <laughs> yeah. Because it, it kind of is... It, it builds into the contrarian blower right. postulate. Right. <laughs> I just want to make sure. No, they're not all equal. Let's let's be fair here. <laughs> uh, but there is also the com- the conversation about um, the metric that craft beer now is bigger than Budweiser. Oh, yes. I can't. I'm shocked at how many people took that at. The superficial value of Anheuser Busch, yeah. So, like, I saw. So, you know, we've talked about how I've been taking the craft beer radio Twitter account, following all kinds of breweries, mm-hmm. right? So, there's more. Like, so we're following on craft beer radio. We're following. Um. One second here. Let me pull up the page. 1,333 breweries. The rate at which tweets come in is absurd. You, you yeah, can, I don't... I don't have, you have to send me the, the right. CBR uh, stuff because I don't even have that to, okay. to tweet anymore with it. But the uh, the rate that comes in is absurd. And then there's people that like are beer people, like the Full Pint guys, not Full Pint Brewing, but the Full Pint the, you know, Beer News website. They're following like 15,000 people. Yeah, yeah. You I know can't. they're not reading. Of course not. You can't. No one can. Anything. The the main it, reason it's part of that old Twitter economy, quote unquote, which was you follow me, I'll follow you back, and yeah. then I, you know I'm going to follow so many people that, that are going to get enough followers because of that. Yeah. So the, so I almost feel like yeah, I never bought into that economy. Right. It's yeah. only, only follow people you care about. Right. Right. Unfollow people that are like I unfollowed a couple people that have been like tweeting. Just like untapped check-ins, you know, like, but not providing anything real right. critical. Like when you used to do four square shit. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. But I only put the 
So this will be an argument between Greg and I. I would only tweet the four score check-ins, which I thought had beer relevance to it. You tweeted Disney World. Okay, or personal relevance. <laughs> I didn't tweet that I... I never... I never tweeted a four-square check-in that I was at the barber's or taking a shit or... Okay. Yeah, I mean, most people don't four-square taking a shit. Well, that, that's, that's toilet but square. But there's, there's, there's people that... <laughs> that's, that, that's the service I meant to make called toilet square, <laughs> where you can find the best right. bathrooms. <laughs> I was being... Uh, there are people that, that check in everywhere, mm-hmm. you know. I'm at McDonald's. I'm at yeah, you know, and Untapped same thing. Oh, I drink like when I like. There's a guy that I unfollowed just the other day that he was just adding stuff to Untapped. He tasted. He had like twelve consecutive tweets on my timeline of I tasted this, I tasted that, mm-hmm. I tasted this, I tasted that, I tasted this, I tasted. I'm that. I understand adding stuff to, to Untapped, but don't tweet it. Don't you know, tweet twelve the tweet, yeah. in the next four minutes. You know. Yeah. And, you know, not, it won't be consecutive to everyone's timeline, but a mighty and 12 consecutive tweets in a timeline. Like, dude, okay, I don't care about your untapped check, mm-hmm. your untapped logs. Um, But, so, back to the whole point here, I took the Craft Beer Radio and I started following all the breweries I could find, kind of as an, to open a channel of dialogue with breweries. That's the main reason. So even though we're following 1,333 breweries right now, Nice number. It is. It's kind of nice and easy, nice and even. Uh, and I'm kind of limiting <laughs> for for an odd number. Isn't? It's definitely nice yes. and even. Yes. Well, there's a lot of threes in it. <laughs> there's an even number of threes. No, there isn't. <laughs> that's that's why I said it, Craig. <laughs> Go on. That's exactly why I said sure. it. Sure. <laughs> because it was fun. I said it. I knew there was three threes and three is an odd number. Much better and opposite. You know, it's really funny now that I have to dis- to explain my joke. Yeah, that makes it hilarious. It, well, see, if I keep doing it, if I keep explaining the joke, it will be funny, right? All right. Um, I don't even know where I was going. The The timeline's insane. I, I kind of browse it every once in a while, see what's going on, uh, with what brewers are tweeting about. But it's mostly just open a dialogue. Yeah, yeah, sure. You know, tweet at people, direct message people, things like that. So, but let's go back to to the point, which was the the, the Budweiser thing, the, the oh, metric. Yes. So, the, first of all, the metric was not Budweiser worldwide because it was the well, no, it was in America. Oh, okay. American craft beer sales versus the sales of Budweiser. Budweiser worldwide is a very very large beer. Okay, I didn't follow. Actually, yeah. I didn't. I didn't think of breaking that down i wonder what budweiser in the united states budweiser in north america versus budweiser globally i wonder what those numbers are i mean but keep in mind budweiser in america is not anheuser bush's biggest seller no bud light far bud light is so it's an interesting metric but it's a metric that's not worth i saw i saw a lot of tweets like people exclaiming like victory and they had presumed that they had topped Anheuser-Busch capacity. No, no. You've topped one of their brands. Yeah. A large brand. A large but brand. not their biggest brand. A single recipe. You 
the all guess the what? recipes. Guess what? You taught Bush and Bush Light a couple of years ago. Yeah, but whoop de doo. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, th- what this re- is saying that all all of the recipes in all of craft beer have topped ten thousand brands. A single recipe of beer. Now that's like I say, a very interesting metric, but it is not. You know, and exclaim, we did it, type thing. Well, I mean, I saw, I don't know if it was Ray Daniels, I think it was Ray Daniels. He said, I wonder what AB's, you know, remark is going to be. It's like, well, it took 10,000 brands to, to equal the capacity or the productivity of one of our brands. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and not their biggest brand, right? right. I mean, the, yeah. the day, day they topped their biggest brand... That's something. Yeah, that's something. But you know, the the day that craft beer is more popular than the biggest single brand, the, the biggest single selling beer, that's a much more interesting metric. But that also is, it will signal a sea change because it will mean. Remember what I was talking about before that it's not that Anheuser Busch can't make is is incapable well it's, it's not that their their brewers are incapable of making a craft beer is that they are incapable of making a craft beer profitably and so they won't once the economics turns in their favor you better bet your ass they will so we we've talked about this a lot right and and I'm kind of with you I'm wondering if there's more of an intangible you know we know how like a lot of the ab brewers are trained in-house right so there's kind of this incestuous like they're they don't get much fresh genetics from like, outside. as soon as the economics favor them getting fresh genetics from the outside they will as mm-hmm. soon as the economics favor them making a bunch of really interesting craft beers well, they will. okay well hold on you say as soon as they're a giant slow-moving company so there's going to be a, a lag, right? Well, yeah. Okay, the question yes. is: the question is: is the giant slow-moving company's lag always going to be outpaced by craft brewing's innovation? You know, there's something to think about, right? It's an interesting question, and I don't have an answer. Right. right away. I mean, I mean, I'm just throwing things yeah, out there, right? Yeah. I mean, I think we're mostly on the same page. We've had good beers from Anheuser Busch. We've the most frustrating part for me is we've seen very interesting beers on fermenter tags in St. Louis, and they would not let us taste them. Right. What the fuck? They were fermenting a beer in St. Louis with Orval yeast, mm-hmm. and they wouldn't let us taste it. Yeah. What the fuck? They had their reasons, I guess. But yeah, they may be slower to adapt, to the new market, but there's there's no question in my mind that there both that if if it becomes profitable, there won't be a movement inside the company to to embrace this. There already is in in you know in cores in terms of you know so there's moon and doing interesting stuff with right. that. But the, you know again, I'm not an MBA. I don't run a process management for a giant company like Anheuser Busch. But there's also the, like, there's some kind of price per barrel metric, right? And I think some of the, you know, it's going to be hard for the bean counters to justify a higher price per barrel metric. 
Until the economics become more favorable. Well, I think until their pond dries up, right? I think they're, you know, they like this certain level of profitability, right? Sure. And this is a huge economic question, probably for like the the stats guy at the Brewers Association Mm -hmm. or something like that. But like, you know, craft beer costs more but has a higher margin. Right. And has a, you know, industrial beer... It's cheap to make, but has a certain margin, but has huge volume, right? And adopting the the higher expense, higher margin, lower volume, it's always going to be lower volume in our lifetimes. I mean, that's a reasonable assumption to make. I don't know whether right. that's necessarily true, but it's a reasonable assumption and to make. I, maybe I went a little bit out on the limb of saying our lifetimes. But it's the volume of doing industrial beer... Is I, I think so I think much you're higher. right that a company like Budweiser or ADMBev has a huge amount of inertia, and and so it's harder for them. To, they can't turn on a dime, right? I, I I don't think a lot of big craft brewers now could turn. I mean, I don't think Sam Adams could turn on a dime either if the economics change. What Sam Adams? They put out like a hundred brands a year. Yeah, I know. I don't think that if the economics change and craft beer became something that wasn't as palatable, they could turn on a dime and stop putting out craft beer and put out just two or three. I don't think they. I think in, in the same way, just because they're large, they don't have that kind of inertia. I, I don't. But they do have more of inertia than than, than other ones do. I, I don't know. I, I've been stunned time and time again by the shit. That, that, I'm not. I'm not. Saying that Santa was makes you're, you're making it sound like it's harder to to put out. No, no, no. I'm yeah. I, I'm saying you're, that you're, what you just said was they they could not they could not quickly stop making a hundred brands and make more Boston Lager is what you just said. Yeah, I think that because of the way they're doing business now, because of the way, like you said, they're I mean they're a larger company than others. They can't just. I mean, they. It's not. It's not because it's not because they're incapable as a company doing it. It's because they likely would not see the the effects as quickly as other companies would, and therefore adjust themselves. And that's really what the Budweiser issue is too. It's not the Budweiser can't stop. You know, can't start making you know hundred different types of, of beers like Sam Adams. It's that they would not see as quickly the effect of. Of, of a market change, but you're like talking that, about you're talking about and backing, being able to adjust to that. backing out of this, and also Sam no, Adams. No, I'm, I'm telling you my thinking. Well, I'm but, not backing out, sure. I'm telling you my thinking. No, no, the reason no, why no, no, I no, said you're talking about an industry where you need to back. You just mentioned an example where Boston Beer would have to back out of doing 100 brands, right, and do fewer brands, right, exactly. And you're saying that their inertia would keep them from doing that, yes. Boston beer has, but, but uh, the reason they why they have inertia of, is not because they have mass. It's not because there's it's an effect. It's because they have a large operation, and these small fluctuations would be hidden in the data for a large operation, as opposed to small operations. The big fluctuations would be much more apparent, and that's why the inertia happens. It's not because they're just large. It's because they're, the fluctuations I got a couple things here. Um, I'm going to hit them real quickly. Boston Beer's culture is of innovation. Sure. So their their culture is more flexible no matter the size. Where Anheuser-Busch's culture is, if they innovate, they innovate in marketing late brands, right? That's where they market. That's where they innovate. They innovate in launching a brand. Okay. 
you know, Michelob Black or something. Sure. Um, So I would say that if there was the astounding uh, reversal of market and they needed to be less craft, right? They need to be less diverse, right? Where people started drinking tons and tons of more well-known beers and, and Sam Adams needed to ramp Boston Lager and count and cut 60 brands off their portfolio. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not saying this is a, this is a they, likely scenario. I'm just, I, but they could know. do it. I mean, that's part of their culture. Of course they, they the could do it. I'm not saying they couldn't. I'm saying that, that because they're larger, they have it would take them longer for them to notice the trend from a purely economic standpoint, which but is exactly all, what we're talking no, about. Most of their most of their brands are very small. I mean, as small as they're as small as Victory releases. They're as small as Trogue's releases. They're putting out relatively small stuff all over them. I mean, how if they're not that small? How are they doing? Like. 80 to 100 brands a year, you know. I mean they they are doing venture, you know, a bunch of very small releases, but they have uh, they'll know if the no, if, the, the, a bunch of their 100 beers or whatever they put out is very small, but there are at least 20 or 30 that are relatively large. And you know, and, and especially when you take into account, you know, all the cider stuff that goes on too and and uh you know, other malt stuff that they do. There are at least 20 or 30 brands they have that are relatively large, and it would be hard for them to to find the data as quickly as a much smaller brewery or a microbrewery because they're going to have to pivot, and Sam Adams is not necessarily going to have to pivot as quickly. And because everything, the mean is going to be a lot harder, it's going to be a lot harder to adjust for a large company with a lot of sales than it is for a small company with a, with a little sales. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about company. We're talking about inertia in economic standards. We're not talking about mass in terms of you know a large spaceship in space. We're talking about well, the, sure, the, but the I mean, the, I'm, the imagining is, is I'm imagining a situation. A small brewery will notice within a month if something's not selling. Yeah, it might take Boston beer a quarter. That's to me. That's close enough to to call them agile. It's still a big. It's 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 a difference, and it, and it they have huge contracts, and you know, for the bottling and for labeling and the other other stuff like that that would have to be you know changed and, and ingredients and other things that would. There's a lot of things that that they have that they're sourcing that would have to change were they to need to change you know their entire line and, and you know how they did things and. There's a lot of things that go into that, and that's part of the problem. That's where the inter- and and it's just saying that when you get larger, these things become a harder to see in the data and b harder to change because of the largeness of the contracts you need to make. Okay, I have nothing new to argue. <laughs> Much better argument. Like I said, that's fun. Star Wars. Okay. Star Wars. Why is it a year away? Why is it a fucking yeah, that, year away? Yeah, when I saw that, I was like, oh, that looks kind of cool. Oh, December 2015? Why, I knew, why am I, I knew, now? I knew it was December 2015, but I still... I mean, for me, it's... For me, it's awesome, because Max is super into Star Wars. Yeah. So, And I'm reliving a lot of my childhood through Max. I mean, we sit down and we watch Empire. We sit down and watch Return of the Jedi. We sit down and watch... New Hope, you know, it's it's so good. Oh, and I need you to get me a the um, 
I need to get the original laser disc of Jedi. I got the the bullshit version of Jedi. Um, I need the good one. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, I mean, the trailer was certainly J.J. Abrams. Yes, and beyond the bad robot logo at the beginning, um, but I think you know it definitely looked good. It looked yeah, like I mean, it, what I, it looked know, like he's I liked he's better at doing Star Wars than Lucas. Oh right? God, yeah. I mean, okay, not everything's super clean and everything. Everything things were dirty. Yeah. Things were oh, messy. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean there, yeah. There's 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 battle scarred. Yeah, X wings. You know, just oh, it's awesome. J.J. Abrams was kind of built to make a Star Wars movie, right? I mean, that's kind of his thing. Um, reminds me of, of a conversation I had recently because we're talking about um, what? Um, just no. Okay, know. talking about uh, directing and you know why why directing and writing is different and um, and. How directing and acting are very similar in, in that directing and acting are performances, right? They're both performance-based things. They're both sort of very emotional and raw. Uh, and writing is different. Writing is structure-based. Um, not that you can't have emotion in both, but you don't. You see actors turn to directors, not actors turn to writers. And there's mm-hmm. a reason because they're both very performance-based. Film and uh, you know, film is generally a director's medium, and television is generally a writer's medium. There's different ways that goes, but that's mm-hmm. generally the way it goes. So I, I think it's interesting. J.J. Abrams is a very actor director. He, he, you you can tell his performances; they have a, a note to them. They, they're they're very distinctive. You know, Spielberg's the same way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nolan is, a, is is the same way. Hitchcock. Um. Kubrick, they all had various right. aspects to their performances. You could tell this was J.J. Abrams. This oh, yeah. had that J.J. Abrams aesthetic. Some of the, I mean, just the way he cuts, right? Yeah. I mean, he must sit in the editing room and, and direct a lot of where to make the cuts because the cuts were like our signature Abrams. I mm-hmm. mean, you just, you just see those signature cuts that he does. But the composition as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe it's it's probably the it's probably the composition adding to the cut. But yeah. really, you know, where you notice it is at the cuts. You know, like boom, cut, 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 cut. Yes, that feels like Abrams. You know, I, I would be happy if he doesn't if he does away with what I think. It, and I, I know it's signature Star Wars, but I'm kind of sick of the the slide cut. You know, the the um, the transitions like the slide transition. Oh. I mean, I guess that's a signature Star Wars, but it's it feels it feels really outdated, and really, really kind of. I I don't think I agree with you on that one. Uh, I I would I think it would kind of. Did they use a lot of slides in the first? Yeah. Thing? In, yeah. in I mean, in the the prequels. Yes, they did. Did they? See, I mean, I I I only remember them. You know, because I block out that bullshit. I remember them in A New Hope, mostly, right? Where, you know, and it was just a practical way to do a transition 
with you know when you're doing I mean, it adds it adds some energy it's sort of comic booky it has that style with, but it's also it's also Lucas was going for a very you know 30s and 40s serial style you know flash gordon type thing mm-hmm. and and so it has that aspect to it but it, it's, it's also practical when you're working with film and doing physical editing is it yeah yeah I mean, because I don't, I, I don't notice that in a lot of other films. I mean, it's very, very visible yeah, in the maybe. Star Wars films, but I really don't see that a lot. In, but in you know, think of a film. Where, I mean, I don't know. It's 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 an option, right? I mean, it's. I mean, I think it seems like it'd be a harder transition I'm, to do in film. Well, no, because you have the, you have the. I, I can imagine how you would do it practically, right? Where you would have the two pieces of film. And you would have it in a sled, right? And you would, it would, it would, also uh, trying to ramp that up to 24 and frames a second. You would see the sled as a cross off, too. Yeah. And, and no, I think that it's a, okay. it's a harder transition to make. And it is, I mean, how did they do dissolves practically? That's, I don't know. I just look into that, like practical transitions, like how they did it, you know, I mean, it cut, obviously, but, you know, you just, Splice the film together, but yeah. how do you do it? Dissolve probably on two layers. No. Yeah, you would have to have two two layers of film running above each other, right? And then you'd be exposing it to a third layer of film, and then you would have to you would have to have the first layer of film go from overexposed white from clear into regular exposure. And then you would kind of overlap the two, and you'd have to sync those up, right? So you'd have two layers of exposed film and a ex- layer of, of film all running that way. To do the wipe, let's see, practically, how would you do a wipe? You would have to, um, you would have to compost. You'd have to do compost. Yeah, you'd have you would to have compost. to compost all the frames, right? Because yeah. each frame would have to have half and half. You would have to actually splice each frame together. Yeah, it's not simple just sliding in. It, it, it's very much a composting thing. Cause... Yeah, because when you're developing the films for Dissolve, you can kind of do... You can, you can turn on the light bulb. You can turn yeah. off the light bulb, right? Where when you're doing the, the wipe, you would have to take each frame and you would have to splice them together and you would have like 10 frames or 15 frames which are spliced together and you have to splice those frames into the reel and all that so yeah, I guess practically that would be more difficult visually it's very easy yeah. I mean you just select yeah, it yeah. <laughs> I did uh, on the video you saw I don't know if you saw mm-hmm. it, it was a little twirly <laughs> you used the trolley? I yeah. didn't see the trolley. Yeah. Um, no, I like the idea of the, the slide, the slide wipe. I, I like that. I think that really reminds me of Luke on Tatooine. I think. I, I, would, I would like to see a different assignment. And I started to see it, I think, with, with... I don't know whether this is the effect that they're going to be using for lightsabers now or if it's like a special lightsaber that they're showing. But I sort of liked the way that the lightsaber looked a lot more dangerous and kind of unstable the one that we saw in this one it was, it was one thing I sort of picked up on there were two I'll things off the watch it again I didn't notice there the were two thing. things I, I picked up on one was, was it thinner was it like more needly it was a little more needly but it was also waving more and okay. it, it, it seemed to have more it was more kind of energetic and but also had those two 
bits on this, you know, sort of making a hilt. A hilt. Oh, uh, yeah. That's, that's nice. But I, I, Bloodsabers have always been missing a hilt. Why can't you? Once you, I always wondered this. Like when you're kind of contacted with Darth Vader, right? Just slide your saber right up the hilt until you hit his hands, right? Or right up the blade until you hit yeah, his hands. I mean, but I, I, it also kind of looked to me like there was an aspect of it that. It wasn't just that it was making a cool-looking hilt, but it was sort of like this is such a dangerous thing that it's also got, it's got to blow out energy off the sides too because it's so. I, mean, I think a hilt makes sense. I always had written off, you know, the Jedi's skill as the reason for not needing a hilt, right? Um, really, you need some hilts on those things. But this is a lightsaber hilt, so mm-hmm. if you touch it, you're well. If it's like, not lightsaber, there's no way to stop a lightsaber yeah, blade, so it has to be a energy hilt. But you wouldn't want to touch it yourself. But no. sort of, I, but I kind of like the idea of of a lightsaber being a lightsaber just being really fucking dangerous, and that's why people don't deal with it. Not because Jedi is just an exclusively Jedi weapon, because mm. it's just a fucking dangerous thing. Yeah, yeah. And so you really don't want to touch it unless you're really experienced with it. Have you? You probably haven't watched any of the Star Wars Rebels. No, they just put out. It's pretty good. Did we talk about this at all? No. We haven't oh wow, we haven't talked about this. So this is great because on Disney XD I think that's yeah, that's the channel. I don't I don't know what channel's on. I, I download the shit, right? But there's a new uh CG show called Star Wars Rebels. It takes place between Oh, you mentioned this episodes yeah. three and episodes four. Right. And there's a um it takes place so the main character in Rebels, he was born the day of Order sixty six, the day that the the day that the clones turned on the Jedi's execute Order sixty six. Yes. yes, so he was born on that day on, on Empire Day, and uh, so he is like sixty. So it's like, do you ever think about that Order sixty six? Like how fucking what awful writing that is. You know what? I I still don't have um, I don't have Revenge of the Sith. So I haven't seen it in a very, very long time. But just think about that. So Lucas says, okay, i got to make some order that sounds like it's bad. Right? So, okay. Order. What's a number that sounds bad? I really hate Mario Lemieux, so 66. What's a number that sounds bad? Well, well, 666. But if I just say 666, that's really too obvious. See, I never made the the devil thing. I I can't... So maybe I just execute order six, but it just doesn't sound like they get a lot of orders. So execute order sixty six. Yeah, okay, that's it. It sounds like Sith too. So. <laughs> first draft shit. You know, it's like mm-hmm. everything in, in those prequels is just first draft, first draft, first draft. There's no. Yeah. So so anyway, Star Wars Rebels is is a cartoon. On I stole that from Letter Media, but it's true. Okay. And uh, Ezra is the. The orphan kid, and then you have Kanan, who's a Jedi, and he, oh, there's still Jedi's here. He is a Jedi that escaped Order sixty six, and he's kind of he's kind of doing a Han Solo thing, where he's like kind of, you know, a profiteer trying to make it make ends meet, and then also cause a headache for the Empire, whatever he can, type thing. And uh, Hera is the pilot of the ship, and she is a Twi'lek. Those uh, ones with, she's a green one, but she, she has the, the head tubes. Yeah, 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 the head tubes. And um, there's Zeb, who is kind of the muscle. He's the Jane of of the the ship. He's of a species that I don't think we've seen before. That was just about 
um, wiped out by the Empire. I'll be and, in my bunk. Hmm? Sorry. Jane. I'll be okay. in my bunk. Right. He's very much Jane. Uh, there is an RT unit is called... Is he a Nagri? No. Okay. No, he's not. He's uh there's an R2 or he well he's like a, he's an astromech droid. He's a, a C1 something, C110P or something like that. Chopper who has like tons of attitude. He's like R2 but like like way worse like with his he he's a prima donna R2 astromech droid. And um there's um uh, um uh Mandalorian uh, a girl uh, she wears a pink suit like Boba Fett. <laughs> and um, that's the ragtag crew that's causing nightmares for the for the Empire. And there's a little bit of crossovers like R2 and C-3PO made it in an episode. And at the end, these guys delivered them to Oregano's ship, which is the ship the Leia was in, in the, the first, right. you know, the very beginning shot, right? Yeah. You know, but it's Senator Oregano, you know, her dad, you know, gives the, gives C-3PO and R2 back to them. He's been in, so he's had a cameo in, in two episodes. Was it Jimmy Smith? Wasn't Jimmy Smith. <laughs> uh, I have to think, I, I mean, it's cartoon, right? But mm-hmm. I don't think it was voiced by Jimmy Smith's. Uh, he only had, he only had lines in the first time he was shown. The second time it was just kind of just the ship, right? They didn't have any lines for for uh, Senator Organa. Um, are there any um, squid dudes? What are they called? Uh, yeah, I think they've shown some. So this is part of the canon, right? I mean, it, it's official shit, right? So it has to fit into the storyline. And there's some things like looking at the trailer, even that short little trailer. There's some things that they might have consulted with Episode Seven, you know, to make sure it kind of runs into it. So, I don't know. It just uh, it's sort of like Agents of Shield is, you know, not it. It takes stuff from the from the movies and and sort of uh, works itself in, but it's not necessary to the movies. So. Granted, I'm in a I'm in a compromised position for reviewing this because I watch it with Max, so I have a lot of enjoyability of watching it with my son, who who loves it. Right? I think it's much much better than the Clone Wars cartoons, uh, which I never watched either. So I'm just not a huge fan of Star Wars when it comes yeah. down to it. I'm yeah. just I'm I'm not a big Star Wars guy. I always thought yeah. Star Wars was cool, was was you know neat, but not. Like I'm not like I love Star Wars. I I think that um, Star Wars Rebels will definitely fill the void between now and next December. And uh, if you're listening, you haven't checked them out yet. You know, watch them. And that, if that you Star Wars size hole in my chest. Yes. And if you don't have the ability to find the previous episodes, send me an email. I might be able to help you out. All right. Let's see here. Um, I don't know if I have anything else. Oh, oh, one thing I want to talk about. Well, actually, I wrote this down. I'm not sure when I wrote this down. I think we were already talking about Star Wars. But you know how the style from Episode 3 was so shiny? Like the ships and stuff, right? The the ships that they used were so shiny. And then you go into Episode 4, which is the prequel made in 77, right? Yeah. And and it's practical effects. And the machines are so util- utilitarian, right? You go, f- you go from a Jedi starfighter to an X-Wing fighter, right? Yeah. And it's like 
that plane should blow the fuck out of that plane. But, you know, it's like, why do they ever stop using the old ones? And I actually saw in some of the Expanded Universe stuff, right, on, like, Wikipedia. Which is all not canon anymore, so. Right. But, like, you know, like, they're trying to just, like, some writers have tried to justify the 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 shift to more utilitarian things to, to kind of write that justification into the whole universe. Sure. It's, it's uh, what they call, um, uh, it's, it's what they call, why can't I think of the word? Um, retconning. Retconning? Yeah. Okay. When you, when you, you have something established and you have to, uh, you make some new thing that, that changes the way that old established thing works. You have to retcon it. Okay. So uh, it, it obviously stands for something. It stands for like probably recondition. Right? Okay. So you you uh, you retcon your old thing with a new thing, and that that's what stands now. So I mean, the entire the entirety of, of the the prequels was a retcon of of Star Wars itself because it made the whole thing about Darth Vader instead of being about mm-hmm. some you know more galactic story. It turned into right. a kind of dumb story, a much dumber story. Which dumber story? Thing that, I mean, the probably the thing that bugs me the most, and I always look for this inconsistency, and it's hard to pin down. Is like, why does R two and C three PO retroactive have to, continuity? That's what it stands okay. for. You know, why does R two and C three PO have to be so integral to everything? Yeah. And when I saw them on Rebels, I'm like, fuck! Can't they just stay out of out of something once? You know, and. You figure there's got to be some incontinuity somewhere. Like, Darth Vader has had to have seen a C-3PO human-cyborg relations with an R2-D2 astromech unit, mm-hmm. you know, somewhere in, in Episode 4 or 5, right? And and realize, like, that's weird that there's an R2 and a C-3PO together. When I, used, when I made a C-3PO yeah. and... Uh, you know, they, this looks the same as the R two. I mean, I, uh, I mean, I'm sure there's not a ton of pairs of those guys yeah. hanging out together. And it wasn't like you know, you just it wasn't like you completely dismissed these droids. You built one of them, and the other one you called R two, and you hung around all the time. Right. You would probably recognize this thing. If from you your just years. saw one fleeting, I'm sure there's a lot of C three POs. There's a lot of R twos, but when you see them together, well, no, the whole thing is there are a lot of C three. There's a lot of C threes, and there's uh, a lot of R twos. Right. There's not a lot of R two D twos, and there's not a lot of C three P. Right, I mean that was the whole point. Right, right. So, yeah, I mean you'd probably be, you'd probably think it was a little weird that yeah, this is the robot you made when you were a kid, and this is the robot that you hung out with for ten whatever years when you were a Jedi. Mm-hmm. Uh, there they are again. What you're just going to be like? Eh. <laughs> yeah, that's for me. That's the worst part of of the continuity. And like Yoda, Yoda's seen him, right? Yeah. You know, Yoda is known knows them intimately, and when Yoda meets R two on Dantooine, on, on, no, no, it was uh, well, when he meets him on Dagobah, Dagobah, yeah, right. It, he's just beating the robot with the yeah. stick. He's like, "This sassy R two unit, um, yeah, he's pretty sassy. This might be R two D two, you know." And then, you know, from the other point of view, you know, R2 should recognize. I mean, supposedly these guys haven't had their memories wiped very often. Yeah, well, R2-D2 apparently was, was not wiped at all. R2-D2 knew it was going on the whole time. See, Rio was wiped. Okay. So, yeah, if R2 was never wiped, uh, why was he fighting Yoda for 
the flashlight. It wasn't like, hey, Yoda, it's me. Remember? Use the force. Remember? I remember when I had jetpacks too. Remember that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So why was he fighting Yoda for the flashlight? You know, it's like, oh man, retroactive continuity. Dumb, dumb, dumb. Fucking George Lucas. Fucking yeah. Seriously, he, he fucked everything up. Well, part of it was, don't go back. Don't make a prequel. Go forward. I mean, it takes some balls, like, making your sci-fi thing and calling it episode four. You know, which... He didn't, originally. Oh, no? Well, no. When it was theatrically released, it was episode four, no. wasn't it? No. No. Really? Yes. Okay. Didn't know that. He, he claims he always planned it, but no, it was added later. Uh, when did it get the episode four moniker? When it was re-released. Okay. And I think, you know, after they had a confirmed, after they knew that Empire was, they had a deal to make Empire. It, it did not start with episode four. Okay. So I saw Empire in the theaters. I was too young, right? I was like five months old. When, that, of course, had episode five on it. Right. I was like five months old when Star Wars came out. Right. So I didn't see Star Wars in the theater. But I did see Empire in the theater. I'm trying to think if I saw any of them in the theater because I was you know, basically your age too. So. I, I don't necessarily remember seeing Star Wars in the theater. It's something my parents have told me. They took me to see Empire Strikes Back in the theater. So, but you were like three, so I mean, what year did it come out? Eighty, right? Yeah, I think I, I, I guess. So it's just like me taking Max to see Empire <laughs> Guardians yeah. of the Galaxy. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> so I'm not the worst parent ever. <laughs> Guardians is a little worse than Star Wars. Yeah, Guardians is you know, is it really? Not really. In today's in today's, in today's world, no, not really. <laughs> we were watching something today, and Max was watching it or something stunning on the TV. He's like, "What the hell?" <laughs> like Max, kids are allowed to say "What the heck?" <laughs> I don't know. It, it it's 2014. Kids are allowed to say "What the hell?" I don't think <laughs> I it. Guess, it yeah. I mean, come on. It's really funny watching four year old go, "What the hell?" <laughs> I I don't think that we have to hold kids to 1960s language. And then anymore. today, I think I'm not saying kids should go around saying shit, shit, fuck, fuck, but I'm just saying, you know, what the hell? Is, so or, to- or, or I, they say, damn it, or something. So like I that. told I you, I don't talk about on the show, but I told, I definitely told you about like Max picked up faggot at school, right? Yeah, yeah. So today, I think he said faggot balls. But then he's, he caught himself. He's like, I mean, like he said, faggot balls. He's like, I mean, he said something else, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is a good age to teach your kid not to say the word faggot. Um, well, he knows. He corrected himself. Yeah, yeah. So, And I wasn't sure he said faggot balls anyway, but that's what I think he said. I, I wonder how literal the term faggot balls is. I mean, is is it just more of a... I have no idea. You know, is is it just more of a conceptual thing, or is it you know is he actually talking about somebody's balls? Well, he knows about balls. He knows balls is a term. Yes, but, uh, but he, doesn't, he doesn't know what a f- what I the word don't faggot think refers he knows to. What a faggot is no. Yeah. So he wouldn't make the connection. Faggot balls. Because I mean, how could he? I mean, kids that age don't understand about sex, really. No. 
Well, I don't know. I don't know where you picked. I mean, I presume picked up at school, but I don't know in like what kind of context. Yeah, I don't. Maybe that from his Nickelodeon cartoon. <laughs> well, sure. <laughs> but like, is it a you know he goes to a a Presbyterian? Uh, oh, it's Christian. a religious school. They definitely picked it up at school. He goes to religious school, right? But did he pick no, it I'm, up? I'm just saying. You you remember that all the worst girls were the ones who were the Catholic school girls, right? I mean, but no. So like, so he picked it up at school, right? But did he pick it up in like like actually in context of like you know like like from some religious little kid who's like faggots? No, you know? no. <laughs> I'm sure. I mean. It, it's it's definitely possible that the kid learned that word from his parents, but mm-hmm. I don't no, I don't think that he or the kid who taught him that understands, uh, you know that that a that it's a slur and b what it's right. supposed to mean. I mean because it you know it, it's uh, very similar to how we used to use gay, right? I mean, right, right. Yeah, so, but yeah, it's fagballs, fagballs. It's depressing. Um, heard a really neat. But I do want to know if it's just, if that's you know, if the actual if, if it is fag balls if that's meant as just sort of an abstract type thing. <laughs> it's gotta be. <laughs> it, it it's kind of curious to put them both together though. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, there was a really neat radio lab on. Actually, a couple things I want to say about Radio Radio Lab has gotten. I'm not talking about Radio Lab anymore. They've gotten a lot less sciency, um, and a lot yeah, more. Yeah, because apparently they're a lot, a lot more bullshit, from what I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot more bullshit, but there was a good one on, uh, which was sciency. The one called oh, Patient Zero that they just did. I don't care. I really don't care about. It. I really am tired of hearing about Radio Lab because that isn't something that. I tried to listen to, and it was way overhyped for what it was. It was really bad. I do not like Radio Lab. Serial, can't recommend. Them. Okay, I, I will. It. I will check it out. I like good shit like that. Can I talk? Will you let me talk about this for just a moment? All right. It's the Radio Lab Patient Zero. It's a rebroadcast where they worked in some Ebola stuff, but they kind of the the meat of the of the show was talking about where. HIV came from and there's certain things like HIV mutates at a predictable rate predictable generational rate so they're able to actually work it back to where they first found evidence like through certain blood samples and then working it back from they found some old blood samples from like the 40s or 30s and they were able to work it back from there and they worked it back to 1908 was the human crossover of of HIV within plus or minus a couple years, right? And then they found the location. It was a certain place in Gabon, which had a certain species of monkey with a certain, certain simian immunodeficiency virus or something like that, SIV. And, you know, they, they took a little liberties with the cut hunter... Um, the cut hunter hypotheses where, you know, he had a cut on his hand, skinning a monkey, crossed over type thing. And, but they were able to actually, 
with some evidence, work it up to getting down the river into the big city and, and whatnot. And there was some speculation there, but it was, a, it's a pretty interesting, some. some, lots of, okay. Yes. Lots of speculation. It's, it's, it's better than like thinking of some gay guy fucking a monkey in 1981. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that of course didn't. <laughs> yes. Um, which was the most most reasonable explanation I had heard prior to this, right? Really, so, the most yeah. reasonable explanation I had heard was that you know people were eating monkey, and, okay. and so that's where you know it came from. So I mean, you're not going to listen to it. Um, nope. And please take please take some acceptance that you know i'm not accurately retelling much of the story but yes i've been very disappointed with radio lab lately with kind of lack of evidence lots of speculation um i don't know i enjoyed this one this kind of following it back as far as they as they could remember when i i you know i talked to you about stuff you should know and you know you were like yeah they're kind of, and, and i Eventually, it was like, yeah, you know, yeah, Jeff was really right about this. This show doesn't hold up as as well as I thought it did, mm-hmm. and you know, I think I, I feel like the same thing in reverse with Radio Lab. I mean, I I they tried good, to listen to it, but good I did stuff, not. I but did not like it at all. It's some good stuff, but yeah, I've been kind of disenfranchised by them. You know, and they have a grant from the National Science Foundation, and it's like, hello, bring up science, give me some science, you know. I think the I think the patient zero. I think there was some. They talked with a lot of experts. They they told a good story, and I you know sure they painted a palette a picture of 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 what may have happened. But there's science to that doesn't contradict that, right? So I, I enjoyed that one. Okay. I don't know. Kind of got to pee. Anything else? Uh, but 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 I, this is this uh, last week was the first of my bunch of days off weeks. So I've you know two days off. This you know this week Thursday and Friday. This week I have work on Monday and Tuesday, and then I'm flying out to Tucson. And uh, technically, I guess those aren't days off so much, but mm-hmm. I'm, you know not gonna be working. Then two weeks, and then. Uh, Two days, I think, again, and then from the 24th to the 30th are all paid days off. Nice. Not vacation. Day. I mean, not they don't charge against PTO. They're just paid days off. Wow. So, yeah. That's nice. pretty cool. And then, of course, the first is also. So I get work on the 31st, work on a Wednesday and a Friday. <laughs> Those are going to be productive days. Oh, I'm sure. All right. Cool. Thanks, everyone, for listening to The Post Show, and we'll see you again next time. See ya.